Now we're going to look um, at uh, the camera department, VFX department. Uh, we're going to speak with Harry Escott, the composer, and John uh, Wilson, the editor. I don't know, Mick, do you want to start and just tell us a little bit uh, about how you uh, started out in the industry? My name's Mick Coulter. I'm Scottish, as you can probably tell. So um, I started in the business by chance, almost um, <coughs> through a family connection. My brother-in-law wrote commentaries for little uh, industrial films. I think nowadays they're called corporates. As he got more and more work, he was able to put me in here and there, and I was worked as a gopher, you know, on, on little documentaries. And then the guys that I worked for, uh, I badgered them until they gave me a job. And they gave me a trial of three months, and then uh, finally they took me on, and uh, that was it. I, I, I did a bit of everything for them for a couple of years. Then I went to another little company and did the same thing. I made the tea, I went to the station to collect the film, I, I, I logged the rushes, which is something you guys will never have to do, but <laughs> John will know what it's like. So it w that's how I got into the business. So it was a family connection and a lot of luck. So as Director of Photography, can you give us a few of the credits that you've worked on that we might know anyway? Uh, well, most people know the ones, the movies I've done are, are Four Weddings and A Funeral and Love Actually in Notting Hill. I did a movie called Sense and Sensibility that was with Emma Thompson and Kate Winslet that was quite well known. So those are some of my credits. Yeah. So Love Actually is going to be all over the Christmas telly. Again. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wish I had a quid for every time it was shown. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Fraser, uh, can you tell us a bit about Yeah, I'm uh, Fraser Churchill. I'm the visual effects supervisor. Um, so I got into the business uh, about 20 years ago. I started out as a runner, which is uh, back then the best way to get in. You can still get a job as a runner at a post-production company. <laughs> and that's kind of how I got in. Um, and being a runner, you kind of just do everything. It's, you kind of make tea, you deliver film cans, which is something you'll never have to do because <laughs> film kind of doesn't exist anymore, almost. Yeah. Um, but you're, just a, you're basically a, a dog's body. You do anything that anybody tells you, and you smile sweetly, in the, and you just take it. And eventually, um, if you're good and, and people like you, you sort of progress up, and somebody gives you a break within a company, and then you sort of get a chance to kind of do some low-level visual effects work. Um, but when I started out doing this, there wasn't really a visual effects business to speak of, so we were just doing everything that was thrown at us and sort of learning how to do it by reading the manuals and kind of just uh, staying late and just, uh, just working it all out as we went along. And as the industry developed, opportunities arose to kind of go out from the visual effects companies onto the film sets and oversee the shooting of visual effects. And so that's what I do now is I, I design visual effects, go onto the set and shoot the visual effects with the camera crew and the director and then I oversee the production of them afterwards in post-production so it's it sort of takes you through the whole filmmaking process it's about maybe two and a half years from start to finish when I do a film uh, and I've just finished one um, which is a, a Tim Burton film called Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children uh, which you should go and see if you haven't seen it because it's fantastic um, <laughs> but yeah uh, that, that's kind of it really so before that I did um, a film called Children of Men I did uh, and I worked with Edgar Wright for a, a number of years and did uh, The World's End and Scott Pilgrim versus The World and then uh, that's and here are I you am. allowed to say what you're working on now I'm now I, I was working on a film called The Flash but that's now that's no longer and I'm now doing a film called Wonder Woman which will be out next oh, year okay. okay cool Harry we'll come to you now how did you get started <laughs> in the industry Hi, I'm Harry Escott. I'm a composer. So I write music for film, um, which they call the score. Um, and I, I got into it probably like a lot of people doing my job. I started off as a musician. So I didn't really know much about film other than what most people know about film. They're just interested at a young age, but not, I wasn't particularly interested in film. 
I was more about music until I got to sort of, I suppose, after A-levels and started studying music. I started um, doing more and more composing and realised that I, what I really enjoyed doing was collaborating with other musicians and other storytellers, so people doing theatre direction and people making short films and trying to work out how music can help us feel one way or another at a particular point in a film. And I found that really interesting, and that idea that sort of sound, a sort of collection of sounds can, is like an alchemy, really, can make, make you feel sad or happy, and how you can do that as objectively as possible to as many people as possible. Because the interesting thing about any art form is that we, we have individual subjective responses to it, but for, for, for the business of filmmaking, you're trying to tell a story to as many people as possible and to communicate the same sense. And so I found that interesting, and how to, how to do that with music. So I got, I, I got into it by basically when I was a student, doing lots and lots of work for directors who are making theatre, so directors of theatre productions, because it's essentially the same thing, um, and people making short films, and then gradually, because you can't really do running so much if you're actually the composer, it doesn't really work in, in that sense, unfortunately, so you just have to do lots of stuff for people who are trying to make things at the beginning, and then slowly, hopefully, one or two of those people might get a commission to make a little documentary for something proper that might actually get onto television or something which is what happened to me. And then suddenly, the producer of that production company said, hey, that was quite good. Can you do the next thing? And, and slowly, 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 it sort of trickled through. And I'm still, you know, you know not, I haven't done anything half as impressive as any of these guys. I'm still very much in the sort of independent sort of um, world of film. So I've done films that probably no one's ever heard of, a film for a filmmaker called Steve McQueen called Shame. I've done a lot of work with Michael Winterbottom, films like A Mighty Heart, Road to Guantanamo, his most recent one, Face of an Angel. Films for Clio Barnard, who's a fantastic filmmaker if you get into film. She's a brilliant filmmaker, so The Selfish Giants, and before that, The Arbor. So it's very sort of independent stuff that kind of will get awards at film festivals, but no one's really going to want to go and see. That's the sort of thing I do. <laughs> <laughs> You're a man after my own. <laughs> Uh, John, if you could introduce Yeah, um, I started out by going to art college to become a graphic designer. And um, I didn't really think that that was really what my true calling was. And we had an opportunity to make films at art college. And I made a film, and the head of the graphics department said, I think you should go to film school. So I did another year, which was a perpetual student. I was a student for four years. And... I then got a job at the Central Office of Information, which no longer exists. It was a, a government propaganda arm on the south bank of the Thames, down at, down at Lambeth North. And there, they at the time in the early mid-70s were the biggest handler of film, even including the BBC. It was like a glorified film school. We had um, eight teams of editors and assistants. And I worked my way through there cutting documentaries um, Mrs. Thatcher came to power and decided to close the whole lot of us and make us all redundant. And whilst serving my redundancy time, Peter Greenaway came along and said, here's a script, would you like to edit the draftsman's contract? So I said, yes, please. <laughs> and um, that was a huge break. And I've worked on quite a few feature films and some television ever since including, if you're going to ask me, um, I've done 13 episodes of Downton Abbey more recently. Um, I did most of Peter Greenaway's top movies, Jasper's Contract, through to The Cook, The Thief, His Wife and Her Lover. I did Billy Elliot, I did The History Boys, um, London Road, Me Before You. Um, but, uh, John, if I could start with you. Sure. Um, uh, you've worked with the likes of uh, Ang Lee, Stephen Daldry and so forth. Um, you Not work. Ang Lee, no. So, sorry, uh, you work with the likes of Stephen Daldry. 
what, what happens with your relationship in the editing room? Because it's separated, isn't it, from the... Yeah. Um, well, you've picked on Stephen Daugherty, which is an interesting one to pick on, because uh, when I did Billy Elliot 15, 16 years ago now, um, he had never made a film before. He mm. came from the world of theatre, and strangely, ever since Billy Elliot, I've done quite a lot of work with theatre directors, Nicholas Heitner, Thea Sharrock, uh, and, and others, Rufus Norris. So I seem to have found a niche in working with theatre directors, which is bizarre because you know they are different the way they approach and Stephen had never as I say made a film before he'd made lots of successful theatre and I was put on a, a short 10 minute film just so that he could first of all find out whether he liked the process and I could see whether we got on together and that was a film called Eight which was a very you know short film shot down in the south coast about a little boy strangely, um, about a little boy who wanted to be, wanted to remember his dad who had died in the Hillsborough disaster and he played football on the beach. And that got a BAFTA nomination. That was Stephen's first uh, venture into filmmaking. So then Billy Elliot came along and um, he really, uh, because he had not got the, um, the background that a, 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 theater, a film director would have, rather left me to get on with it. And he had his own obviously very sensible routes through where you keep an audience either um, he, he plotted the graph of the film out in moments of sadness, moments of, of humor, moments of and, and was very good at keeping the pace of the film right but left me to get on with the actual nuts and bolts of editing and indeed he was allowed to shoot which would never happen, well it would happen now but in the days of celluloid you would always be asked by the producer, are we shooting too much? And I always say, no, never have enough, I'm an editor. Um, <laughs> but uh, we had a first cut of Billy Elliot that was three and three quarter hours long. <laughs> and then we proceeded to really mess up out with the story order, the scenes. We made one scene out of a scene that was somewhere else in the film that was a, a very interesting process with a lot of um, DVD extras available at the end. I mean, John just explained his process of editing, and that's very creative, and it works very closely with the director, and I'm envious of that sometimes, because when I'm working with a director, I've got, like, maybe 80 other people all wanting his attention for one thing. Now, he's, got, he's in a nice dark room somewhere, and it's, <laughs> you know, so... I mean, from, from my end, when it was... Uh, it's, I get to, at the very end of the film, once John is finished with it, and it's all been pieced together, I can then go in, and obviously the VFX have been composed composited and I can then go in and adjust colour and density and all that stuff but my kind of creative thing is, is during production I guess that's the that's where I do it we all do it at different times yeah. I guess we, yeah it, you it, know. it varies but as all I mean we're all sort of as they call us heads of department so we're the, you know the heads of the, the different departments of the film so it's our job to be creative in that sense and to work with, to, to together to make the film and it's I, I think it's often surprising to people how much necessarily doesn't necessarily come from the director uh, that how much comes from all of the collaborators mm. and, and, and the film is a collaboration and um, and we you know after working with Edgar Wright and Alfonso Cuaron and, and Tim Burton it's like okay well they're always very open to their collaborators and I think that's what makes a, a great film um, so yeah I think I think I, I, I always feel like I'm given a lot of creative control over, over what I do I'm, I'm sure you guys probably yeah, feel the no, same no, likewise, likewise. Mm. and of course what people don't realise is perhaps that it doesn't finish when you've done the picture cut. When you get to the end of the picture cut, 
the editor is also overseeing the sound department. And so you work very closely with the sound department. You work very closely with composers who provide <coughs> music tracks, mm. often at the last minute, sometimes <laughs> before, hopefully before, and work through the process of mixing the film in the dubbing theatre. And that's where someone like the editor, who's been with the film from day one of it being shot, is perhaps the most familiar of all the technicians working there and will um, hopefully be able to suggest things along the process that uh, will help, you know, and, uh, the whole point of filmmaking is it's a team job. It's you, you are a team. And um, only the most foolhardy director won't listen to advice from his crew. As I was saying outside, uh, Harry, I was listening to the Shame soundtrack yesterday. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've seen that film with Michael Fassbender's in it. He's got, he's, there's, a lot, there's not that much dialogue in it. So mm -hmm. a lot of the emotions are going through him, sorry. And a lot of what you've written, what you've composed, mm -hmm. is part of his performance because a lot of it is internal. Mm -hmm. So do you feel as though that's, that's part of your job? What, creating what's inside someone's head? Yeah. Yeah, I and mean, I think that's one of the things music can do very interestingly. So there is, on, on a scale of what music can do, there's what, what is called sort of Tom and Jerrying, which is basically very directly um, explaining the action of what's going on. So someone going up the stairs, and you go, ding, 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 as they go up the stairs. That's like sort of what Tom and Jerrying is. And then he's scared, and then, you know, you get one of those noises, and that's fine. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got very uh, sort of all, all these sort of internalized emotions and some, some things where there's a very subtle scoring, which you wouldn't necessarily even notice there was anything there, but you wouldn't quite feel the same if it wasn't there. Um, and I suppose with a film like a sort of psychological film, um, such as Shame, where there's this central character is essentially plighted by sex addiction, and he's very beleaguered by it through the film, and there's this incessant urge always with him that he's try desperately trying to sort of push away and push away. I think there's a lot of scenes in that kind of film where a guy's just sitting down, just looking, looking, and what's going on in his head, and you can completely change, as you will know incredibly well. You can make it funny with music, and you can make it horrible, and you can make it think that someone's about to stab him, or you can make it, and it's exactly the same scene. It's remarkable, the effect that it can have. And so, yes, getting inside, getting inside the head of the character, for me, that's one of the things I love. But talking about the collaborative, well, to answer you, from my perspective, to answer your question, exactly the same as everyone else, I love it because it's a collaborative process and I do feel that it's creative and I'm able to do my own thing. But I, I love the fact that I'm working with someone else and there's someone pushing back and going, well, what about this, what about this? I find that more creatively um, inspiring and interesting and difficult and challenging. And I enjoy that. But also there's a spectrum of directors, some of whom are more autocratic and want to say exactly what they want. And then some who just let you do whatever, I don't know, man, you're the guy, you just do your thing. And, and so there is a spectrum. And that's also interesting, because every, for me, every few months, I'm working with a completely different sort of sensibility, which is interesting to sort of find out what that is. So I, I find that aspect of it quite creative and interesting as well. 